0: Hi, and welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. This is Dr. Sadaf Lodi, and I would love for you to leave me a review of this podcast and also to share and like it and share it with your friends, see what they think, and let me know. I would love to shout you out on social media and also I would love for you to follow me on Instagram at Dr. Sadaf OBGYN as well as TikTok. I also have started a YouTube channel at Dr. Sadaf Intimacy Coach. I'd love for you to follow me on all of those channels. And most importantly, I'd love for you to become a patient. I am now accepting telehealth patients for sexual health, as well as menopause health in New York and Michigan. So if you are a woman that is looking for a doctor that understands you and can actually take the time to listen to all of your concerns, reach out to me, reach out at drsadaf at drsadaf.com. And I would love to see you as a patient. And now for the episode. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Salaf Lodi, and this is everything you need to know about polycystic ovarian syndrome, otherwise known as PCOS. But before I get into it, the first thing I want to make very clear is I'm not giving any type of medical advice. So if you have any healthcare issues, please speak with your healthcare provider. And if you have any religious issues, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman that talks about sex. So welcome again to the podcast, Dr. Ferris. I'm so happy to have you on. You were on before discussing nutrition and nutrition as we age. And now we're going to be talking about your new endeavor on polycystic ovarian syndrome, so welcome back. Thank you, thanks for having me back. Yes, it's my pleasure. So maybe you can, for those individuals that may not be familiar with what polycystic ovarian syndrome is, perhaps you could um, let us know. Sure, so as you already mentioned, PCOS stands
1: for polycystic ovarian syndrome, Um, and though many people argue that this is actually not a great term for what it is, um, that's the term that we use uh, currently. There's some debate about changing the name, Um, but basically polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS is a complex hormonal disorder that affects people with ovaries, and it... um, has many different uh, organ systems that it affects. So it affects people's menstrual cycle by interfering with ovulation. Um, It is characterized by having elevated androgens. So these are the hormones that people um, think of being male hormones, but they're not because women uh, have and make androgens too normally. Um, But having an excess of androgens have uh, certain, side effects on the body. And, um, also for most people, it's characterized by some metabolic abnormalities like insulin resistance. And so it affects many different organ systems. It affects people's, uh, cardiovascular health, their reproductive health, their mental health. Um, and so, um, That's part of the reason why we're talking about it today, because we're going to get in a little bit into the the mental health implications that it does have um, and implications on sexual health. And, um, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. And, you know, as you mentioned before, we've already spoken about uh, nutrition and women's health. And this is really an area where um, nutrition can have a large impact in the outcomes of polycystic
0: ovarian syndrome. Well, that is amazing and I'm so glad that you focus on this because I think a lot of OBGYNs, you know, we have a little bit of knowledge, right? We have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things in dealing with women's health, but you know, very few of us will take time to delve into it. And really get to know the nuances and really what's important for women that have polycystic ovarian syndrome. So I'm so glad that you have taken this on okay. and have really delved into this topic because, as you say, you know, nutrition plays a huge part in this um, syndrome and can probably really help. And you'll. Definitely, I'm sure, let us know about that. I Definitely. also like the fact that you mentioned um, this effect of the syndrome on mental health. You know, I think that's huge and it's something we don't talk about at all. As Correct. you are well aware, we don't talk about mental health in general, but really what this syndrome can do and what it does to a relationship and how it, uh, I was just talking to somebody this morning and she was telling me that she had a friend that has PCOS and is really afraid that she's not gonna be able to get pregnant when she wants to get pregnant because her cycles are all over the chart and she doesn't really understand what's going on. So, um, you know, I think that this is a very important topic.
1: Yeah, so as, yes, we all, you know, just in the same way that we, did not receive that much education around sexual health uh, for women in our OBGYN training and and many other topics, uh, Mm -hmm. one would argue. Yeah, this is one area that I feel that my training didn't necessarily prepare me for. Um, But I think it's really important. It affects 10, you know, depending on who you read or or which source um, you're using, somewhere between 10 and 20 percent of Women and people with ovaries are affected Um, by polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is a huge statistic. So that means if you're seeing patients in your office and you're seeing 20 to 30 patients, you're seeing somebody with PCOS every single day. If you're,
0: you know, if you're an OBGYN or even just a primary care physician. So you're seeing it every day right right and so that's why it's so important for us to know how best to treat women because i think the the mainstay of what we do as obgyns to be honest is that when a patient comes in she tells us she's having irregular menses and she's not looking to get pregnant what do we do we put her on birth control pills right just to regulate her cycles and and hopefully that'll deal with you know her issue and hopefully she won't come back until she's ready to get pregnant so And that's that's true. That's
1: very, that's very common. That's the approach. And, and, but many women complain that that is the care that they're receiving. And not to say that putting somebody on hormonal contraception for PCOS is wrong because it's not, it's definitely very much part of our management. It's the lack of testing and the lack of education that is what is problematic. Right. right? So we need to be confirming that that's the diagnosis. So we're excluding other diagnoses and we need to be educating. So, cause as the, you know, the patient, the, the person that you were speaking to this morning, right? She doesn't know what's going on with her body. And, and that's just from, you know, from not having the knowledge
0: that, that she needs. So. And i agree and i think that you know kind of what you said is that we don't get very much instruction on pcos or really how to deal with it and how to help our patients i mean in residency right we're so focused on pregnancy and delivery and learning how to do the proper delivery and all of these emergencies that can happen on labor and delivery and then we learn about gyn and all the surgery and this and that but you know topics such as this which deals almost with like medical management right that's what we're doing trying to help out the hormones and things like that we just don't really receive the training and it kind of is just left to us to figure it out and how best yeah. to our patients and our amazing
1: reproductive endocrinology and infertility colleagues do, right. They get that training when they go into fellowship, sure. but yeah. by the time, like somebody shouldn't have to get to a specialist or <laughs> have to get to the point where they're having fertility troubles to know that they have a chronic medical condition. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, they do an amazing job but they they're not accessible to everybody also right. and so um you know we need to be catching it we need to be identifying it sooner so whether we're uh, you know whether we're OBGYNs or family medicine doctors or even pediatricians right because some people it presents in adolescence uh you know we need to be identifying it earlier
0: absolutely absolutely
1: and that segues. so i'm just going to yeah Segue into, you know, um, big news this month. It was the release of the new international evidence-based guidelines for the assessment and management of PCOS. So Mm. these guidelines, this is, I don't know, the third edition, maybe, maybe there were previous editions, Um, but it's a 200 plus page document that was prepared by, um, you know, all the different international endocrine societies and different stakeholders that really lays out the guidelines of how we should be diagnosing people with PCOS and different sort of nuances in the management, answering some questions that were unanswered previously. And so if you're somebody that wants to care better for people with pcos then you should take a look at this document and it's available for free you could just do a pubmed search or do a google search and you will find it and um and so there are some really you know interesting additions to uh to this edition and I'm going to be spending some time you know today and just if you know follow me over the next couple of weeks just talking about what some of these are because I think it's really important it's important mm-hmm. for physicians and patients alike. Yeah. Um and so the first sort of big change, and I and I've uh, mentioned this elsewhere, is in the diagnostic criteria. So, mm. right, everybody starts with a diagnosis, and there are different criteria, and it's been established by this body that we should be using what's called the Rotterdam criteria. And the Rotterdam criteria is a set of three criteria, of which somebody needs to meet two out of three. Okay, and those three things are having irregular menstrual cycles, so prolonged cycles or skipping menstrual cycles, or somebody may have regular cycles, but they're not ovulating. So that's Mm. one criteria. Um, The second criteria is having elevated androgens. So either having facial hair growth, having cystic acne, having male pattern balding called Mm. alopecia, or on your blood test, having elevated androgens. So that could be testosterone, but it could also be one of the adrenal androgens like DHEAS or androstenedione. And then lastly, it's having polycystic ovary, ovaries on ultrasound, which means having more than the um, normal number of these small pre follicles on ultrasound. The interesting thing, And so they, and they gave, they give some guidance as to what constitutes a polycystic ovary so that there's uniformity, um, for, for radiologists, but what's interesting is for the first time they've added instead of ultrasound in adults, you can use AMH. So mm-hmm. it, which is a blood test called anti-Mullerian hormone. And if you, um, you know, so you can use AMH, if there's an elevated AMH, you can use that instead of ultrasound. So that's new for this year. So that really makes the diagnosis a lot easier easier for many people in the office, especially in places where maybe somebody doesn't have easy access to radiology, right? Depending right. on where they live, or there's a waiting list, or their insurance, or whatever the case may be. Um, and so it allows, um, you know, when the other blood blood uh, work is being drawn, the other labs are being drawn, that can be added on, and that'll, uh, you know, result in more timely diagnosis. So I think that's a really big
0: and important addition to these guidelines. Absolutely. So for people that may not know, what does AMH look at? So AMH is an
1: anti-mullerian hormone. It's a hormone produced by the granulosa cells of the ovary. So, There's two types of cells in the ovary, the theca cells, which produce testosterone and the granulosa cells that produce estrogen, and they also produce AMH. So the more little follicles you have, the more AMH you're going to produce. Mm. Many people use this. I, I used to have patients coming into my office, they want their AMH tested because if it's low, that can indicate a problem with ovarian reserve. Mm. Um, but if it's high, that can be indic- indicative of PCOS. So another, you know, I used to always tell people, no, 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 we're not going to test your AMH. It's kind of not that important. It's not going to really tell you the full story. But now, you know, for in this instance where you suspect somebody has uh, PCOS, it can be
0: useful. Yeah, no, it's very important. So now let's say that the patient confirms that they have the diagnosis and they're having this irregular menses and things like that. You know, you and I were talking offline a little bit about how that affects their sexual health. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that.
1: Well, certainly, because, you know, in addition to just having these, you know, these Markers, these elevated labs. People with PCOS experience. People with PCOS experience. They can experience infertility if they're having problems with ovulation, irregular menstrual cycles. They can also be experiencing. People with uh, PCOS have, you know, two plus, um, you know, two to three times higher likelihood to have uh, body image concerns, you know, problems with their body image or low self-esteem surrounding some of the physical symptoms that they have. And all, and people with PCOS also have higher rates of depression and anxiety so mm-hmm. that goes along with the, some of the endocrine uh, abnormalities they have, and it p- impacts their mental health. And yeah. so all of these things, right? Infer, we know, infertility, low self-esteem, body image, uh, disorders and mental health, um, conditions, you know, depression and anxiety, all of those right. can contribute to sexual dysfunction, right? So it's not that's... just one. And if they have even more than one, that's even a higher likelihood. And often they're not, they're not talking about it, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, they're not coming to you saying, this is what is going on um, with my sex life. But if they're experiencing any of, the, any of those other conditions, then they're at risk. So that's something that we need to be sensitive to and asking about
0: yeah you know i think you bring up such good topics i mean you know concerns i think that our patients have and a lot of times physicians are really not equipped to answer those questions or really even feel comfortable asking them right like how many times do you go to your own doctor do they even ask about sexual health they don't at least mine don't um and so i think that you know it really behooves us as physicians to really ask our patients you know how this is impacting their lives I think the other problem that we run into in medicine is that you know we're supposed to see patients every 10 minutes and so you don't even get really get a chance to delve into like the deeper topics um, that a cinder may be causing in a patient with what you mentioned you know body image and self-esteem and depression and anxiety and all of those things because this condition definitely can cause that I know that when patients come in and they talk about their irregular muncies and they have a diagnosis of PCOS, they just really don't even know when to have sex, right? Because their periods are so irregular. And especially if they're not wanting to go on any type of contraception um, and they're trying to conceive, they just don't know when they're ovulating, when they're not ovulating right. and their periods are all over the place. What or do you- if they're trying to avoid using yeah.
1: natural, right? Using natural methods. So they really don't know when to, um, when to do that and when i was in my in my office practice i actually had a few women because that's when like all these apps became popular Right, all the apps um were popularized and and sort of marketed as effective contraception which they can be if you have a normal menstrual cycle right Right. and it also relies on having some data some retrospective data and so if somebody Mm -hmm has irregular cycles and doesn't have enough data, there's no way that that can be a reliable yes. form of contraception. So I, I definitely <laughs> have seen people come in um, with unintended pregnancies in that, you know, thinking that they were in the safe, you know, in the safe window or, you know, and and when they weren't because they really didn't have a predictable uh, predictable cycle yet. So yeah, so certainly a, a challenge there for, um, for people using natural um family planning methods or for those who are trying to conceive
0: yeah absolutely absolutely i think that that is one of the biggest uh problems and i think that you know something else that women complain about a lot of times with increased androgens right is like the hair growth that happens on the face and what to Mm -hmm. do about that and you know you see some women that end up um shaving because they have so much hair growth on their face and Um, I, you know, what I tell women is aside from, if especially if they're not trying to get pregnant and putting them on birth control, is, you know, to do like laser hair removal and electrolysis because that will help a lot, you know, instead of. That will of help. Yep. Shaving. Laser, there's many different, depending on your skin type and your
1: complexion. And so yeah. having a good dermatologist and a good, es-
0: es- Aesthetician.
1: Aesthetician. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, know. I can read it, I can't say it. Um, you know, are also really important. Uh and you know, talking about the different uh, th- there are other medications that can be used, but many of them you can't use if you're trying to conceive. And so right. but you know, being knowledgeable of them or having a good dermatology colleague that, you know, cares and and uh you know m- makes that a priority and, and knows how to guide these women is also really helpful.
0: Yeah. So I'd love to get into a little bit about uh, nutrition for women with PCOS.
1: Yeah. So one of my favorite topics, one of the favorite things I talk about, um, my, you know, that's my practice now is using uh, nutrition and, and medicine to help people with PCOS from a chronic disease standpoint, right? How are we managing it for the long term? And you know there is no one diet like that's people ask me what's the best diet for PCOS and it's the one that is going to make you feel good the one that you are going to stick to the one that um you know honors your religious preferences your cultural background but there are some common characteristics regardless of what nutrition pattern or diet you follow so um in you know, considering most people with PCOS have insulin resistance, somewhere 75 to 90% of people with PCOS have some degree of insulin resistance. So learning how to manage that through reducing refined carbohydrates, including more fiber into the diet, Planning the plate so that it um, helps with the insulin resistance. So making sure your plate is balanced with enough protein, enough fiber, some healthy fats so that you feel good, you feel um, satiated, um, you don't you know, have a lot of cravings. People with PCOS, because of the insulin resistance, often really do uh, suffer from intense cravings. Um, Because of increases in blood sugar and then the hyperinsulinemia that goes along with it, right? So that really can can drive intense cravings. And so, how to introduce more of these foods? I'm really all about adding nutrition. I try to take an approach that is not um, punitive or making people feel like they're like really losing out on things. Like, how can we take what you're doing and just make it better and improve your diet quality? So there is no one size fits all, but it does, you know, those are some common characteristics. So getting people off their, you know, their sugar addictions and trying to get people to cook more because when you cook more, you have more control about what is going on with your body. And everybody comes with very different degrees of cooking ability. So we work, you know, we start simple. Some people are great cooks. Some people really are you know, have very little in terms of cooking skill. But when you're eating out all the time, you really have as much as even if you make good menu choices, you really don't have control over, you know, what you're putting in your body when somebody else is making it. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's a very individualized approach with um, sort of with those basic things in, in, in mind. Mm.
0: so what's your favorite recipe i'd like to i'd love to have one recipe that's super easy and simple to make and that you love to tell your patients about and maybe we can put it in the show notes for this oh episode. Uh, god it depends
1: on the season um but uh you know, one I love to make is, is ratatouille. Cause I think it's a it's mm-hmm. summer, Like Right now, that's what I think about because all of those vegetables, and then you can use it in so many different ways. So it's to get people think about like vegetables and they just think about like salad and they get bored of it and they get, you know, I, <laughs> I was talking to a patient. She was like, no, I eat, you know, I eat salad with chicken, but I hate it. I was like, nothing says like sadness to me, uh, you know, <laughs> like, a, a, you know, just a, a boring salad with some, Grilled chicken on it. So, like, how can you make food more interesting? So, you could take sort of a vegetable dish like that and then add it in different ways. So, you can add it to pasta, you can make, you know, add it to a sandwich so that you're adding nutrition without it being really um, boring. So, there's that one. And then, if we're, you know, if we're talking in the colder months, um, there's a like a really easy lentil soup that I love to make. And um, it's really easy for even the most like, you know, not skilled cook to do and so um and it like just turns out delicious every single time so
0: i'll, I'll add those yeah that would be fantastic yeah. thank you and so i know that you recently started up a course and uh if you can tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah so the course um when uh you know when this airs right we're now in september so the course um is available and it is a 28 day self-guided course for people with PCOS. So every day there's another uh, video, uh, you know, 10 to 20 minutes long focusing on a different topic uh, in PCOS. And it is, you know, I cover from meal planning and basic nutrition, um, sort of the underlying drivers of PCOS. And we go through mental health, we go through lab testing, we go through supplements, we go through medications. I mean, really it is like jam packed with like just so much knowledge that wow. I've taken down, like just sort of broken down so that somebody who doesn't have a science background can understand it and take that knowledge and apply it to their health. And it's not a treatment, right? It's not a, um, diet. What it is is giving you the tools, the knowledge, so that you can sift through. There's so much misinformation. I go on the, you know, the PCOS social media sphere, and there's so much nonsense out there, mm. and there's so much predatory, um, just marketing out there, yeah. um, just preying on people's insecurities, and, uh, you know, and, and lack of knowledge. So it can allow you as a consumer, as somebody with PCOS to really sift through, this is, you know, this is gonna, this is going to be helpful, or when this person is talking about this, I understand what they're saying, or what they're saying is total nonsense. So it's yeah. really to give some science-based information, so that you as a person with
0: PCOS can make good decisions. That's fantastic. So what's a common myth you think that people have that you've seen on social media that you'd like to dispel? I'm sure there's lots, but, um, there are are many, um, I think number one that you're not never going to get pregnant.
1: Oh yes. Right. So as long as there are no other factors, right. There are no other factors. Um, if PCOS is the only factor and the ovulation is the only factor we have actually many different treatments to overcome that problem. And actually many people, if, if that can be overcome, people with, you know, PCOS can, can certainly have, you know, a, whatever size family that they want. And so that is a, that's a big myth, right? Um, number two, I would say the second big myth is, um, that it's like, that it's your fault, right? That you did something, that it's all your, like, you know, your poor choices in life that have caused you to mm. have PCOS. So that's another one. Um, yeah. And then I would say from, from a nutrition standpoint, is that you have to give up gluten and dairy. That's another big mm. one out there. And and that's simply not true unless you have a particular sensitivity to those
0: foods. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I would say that that one about never being able to get pregnant is so common and you hear that a lot. And I think that that is one of the biggest misconceptions and one of the biggest fears, right? And I think that um, it makes it very difficult, especially when people don't have the knowledge. And then they believe that I think that that's really that can really be devastating. So I'm glad it can really impact somebody's relationship, right relationship with their partner. I
1: mean, it really is devastating until they understand what it is that's going on. And they get the education and they get over that you know, those feelings and that anxiety and the stigma of talking to somebody about it, then that there's actually a lot of ways in which we can
0: help. And I think also, you know, what you mentioned is the self-blame, right, with the PCOS and not, you know, ovulating and thinking that there's something wrong with you and that you're broken and you'll never be able to get pregnant, And especially if that's something that you want, right? Obviously, there's lots of women that don't want to be pregnant, but Mm -hmm. for those that do, you know, that absolutely could be a deal breaker in a relationship. And, yeah. uh, that that's-
1: and that comes from partners, that comes from family members, and that comes from that's- the medical community as well, right? Yeah. Just telling people, oh, well, if you just, you know, go do this, like, go lose weight and come back and you'll be, you know, and you'll be fine. And that if you're unable to do that, then some, somehow you're flawed or, or you're at fault. And so, right. um, you know, that comes from many different, many different places and are sort of like, you know, in our thinness of obsessed society. And, there, you know, there's so many different layers to it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that's really great. I'm so glad that you do that. And I'm glad you have the course. That is out in September and, you know, definitely people can access that and get all that knowledge. That's so important. And, you know, I think what's also really important is that you're a board certified OBGYN, right? You're not just like some social media influencer trying to make money off of people, but rather, you know, you're somebody that's very well educated, that can give people the proper information that they need and also really give them hope. Right. It's about giving people hope and realizing that there are solutions and that it is a chronic condition, but that it can be managed and that the symptoms can be managed and you can take hold. It is something that I read and I'm curious about. And actually, I read it in uh, one of my menopause books. Um, because I'm I'm certifying, I'm taking the exam to get certified to be a menopause practitioner. Right. And they mentioned that women that um, have PCOS may go through menopause later in life. Have you heard of that? Yes, they uh,
1: yeah. people with PCOS may enter menopause sort of in their later, like the average age is 51, but many people in menopause go uh, later into their late 50s. Um, and so that's something that you need to be aware of. of. It it does seem to, for some people, actually, in, at least in an, an ovulation or the ovulata- ovulatory dysfunction piece of it mm-hmm. tends to improve with time. Yes. So in the later years, so sometimes we'll see people that, you know, or, or there'll be stories, right, historically, because now hopefully we're seeing people, but, you know, stories of, people who never had children their whole life, right, until, and then somehow, like, at 45, you know, they've been married, and all of a sudden, they, you know, they get pregnant, and they have a baby later in life. And I think maybe were those people who had, uh, you know, PCOS, and their, ovulata- their, their ovulation became more regular as right. they aged. Um, so that's possible. Um, and then the other thing about menopause is that some of the disruptions, um, the endocrine disruptions, the hormonal disruptions don't end with menopause, right? We used to think Mm. it ended with menopause, but if your ovaries or your adrenal glands are attuned to producing more androgens, you know, the, the adrenal glands continue to function, right? And so some people still may have some of the symptoms, uh, you know, leading into the the postmenopausal years. And if you had the insulin resistance, that's not going to go away just because you go through menopause, right? So these are people who still you need to be attuned that they have a higher risk for developing type two diabetes and hypertension and cardiovascular disease. So those yeah. concerns are still valid
0: and need to be need to be followed. Hmm. Very good points. I love it. So, so for somebody that's listening to this and would like to know how to get in touch with you, how they can reach out to you, you know, they, they love it and they want to take your course. How can they do that?
1: Yes. So the course uh, you can find on polyprep.com. That's P-O-L-L-Y-P-R-E-P.com. And that's the prep school for PCOS. Mm-hmm. And if you want to see me as a patient, if you reside in the States of New York or Florida, you can see me by telemedicine. Oh. And that website is polyprepmd.com. So pollyprepm MD.com and uh or you can just follow me on the socials uh dr basma faris on instagram also polyprep um and you know anywhere else youtube all the places all right
0: awesome well thank you so much and thank you for coming on thank and i you. think that this information was so helpful to anyone that's listening because there's there is so much misinformation out there so i'm glad you're out there putting out the correct information so thank you for doing what you do and well i am done here and it's been real and really intimate and remember this is not meant to be any type of medical advice so if you're having any issues with polycystic ovarian syndrome make sure that you reach out to your healthcare provider and or if you're in new york or florida make sure you reach out to dr basma ferris and until next time this is the muslim sex podcast So thank you for listening to the podcast and make sure you leave us a review, share and like the podcast. And if you leave me a review, I'd love to shout you out on social media. So be sure that you share it with all your friends and thanks for listening.